a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm KSL's Debbie Worthen. Four years ago, my son Asher was diagnosed with autism. After getting our footing, we decided it was time to celebrate the news with all of you. And that's how Celebrating the Spectrum was born. Each week, we consult with the experts and others who are learning to navigate life with a loved one who has special needs. This is a place where we find hope, look for solutions, and connect with those working to create a better world of inclusion. Hi, I'm Debbie Worthen, and thanks for joining us for this week's Celebrating the Spectrum. Today, we are joined by Danish Mumtaz. Now, Danish is father to an autistic teen and three neurotypical children. He is a TV commercials director, author, teacher, certified NLP practitioner, and Sunrise Program practitioner. He combines his experience of raising a happy autistic child together with his NLP training to help parents raise confident, empathetic, God-conscious children. He joins us today from Pakistan, where he lives. Danish, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, Danish, I listened to an interview that you did on another podcast, and that is really where I connected with you on so many levels, especially when you talked about raising awareness. So tell us a little bit about your family. So um, essentially, I have, like you said, I have uh, my oldest child, Suleiman, is autistic. He is 14 now. And I've got three other kids, uh, two boys, and my youngest is a girl. Um, So I've got sort of all ages running around in my house. (laughs) Busy Um, house. It's a busy household, absolutely. Um, And uh, I think when we discovered uh, Suleiman was autistic was when he was about 15 months old. Oh, so he was a baby still. Absolutely, he was a baby. And the thing is, most practitioners will tell you that they will not give you a definitive uh, diagnosis at that time. No, that is so young, especially with boys, you know, because even at least doctors here in the States, you know, they kind of just brush off if your child isn't talking, especially if it's a boy, until they're two or three years old. Absolutely. And and I think uh, that's also a little bit of a challenge for parents because there used to be a time, I, at least I guess during the time that I was, you know, sort of a young child and stuff where it it's worried too much. Doctors would just say, listen, you're just, you know, you're just a new parent and you're worrying for nothing. Now, he um, was your first child. So how, like, yeah. were you noticing things or were you guys just that dialed in or kind of what, how did you know to even go that route? To be honest, it had very little to do with me. Uh, my wife, Farah, uh, she, her youngest brother is autistic. And so she had sort of seen these signs and Suleiman um, sort of like all children started regressing in his language and started doing repetitive stimming with his eyes. And at the time, I knew that that wasn't something I'd seen other children do. But you do as a parent think, oh, he's just a little weird little kid doing these weird little things and stuff. But, you know, parenting, it isn't parenting just full of that. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, you make up the rules as you go along. You're like, all right, okay, it's just a bit weird. But Farah kind of 
you know, slowly, gently, he was kind of taking me to the fact that um, there might actually be something wrong. And so when we first went to a really good sort of child psychiatrist and she sat down and I think Suleiman was around 16, 16 months at the time and she observed him and literally within 45 minutes she said, I can't write it down on paper because he's only 15, 16 months, but I'm fairly certain that he's on the spectrum somewhere. See, he was show- he was showing some of those signs. Yeah, yeah, very sort of obvious signs and stuff that you couldn't brush off as just saying, oh, you know, his speech is late or something. There was like all of the, he was like one of those classic autistic kids, you know, uh, that, you know, when they say the signs that you want to watch for in autism, he kind of had all of them. Like, like, what were those? Like, was he flapping? Was he walking on his toes? He was flapping. He was walking on his stones. He was looking at objects on the edge. He was spinning things. Uh, language had regressed. So, like, all of them, right? <laughs> Classic. Like, he didn't make the for us at all. Okay. And so, how were you feeling at that time? This is your first child. Yeah. Um, I, it, you know, it's funny. Most parents that I've met have asked me the exact same question. And, and one of the things they say is, you know, you seem so positive and, you know, what's what's going on here? And surely, <laughs> yeah, you, must yeah, it, surely you must be faking it, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. Surely you must be faking it. You know, how can you be so, you know, I mean, there's one thing called acceptance, but you kind of seem almost joyful with the way things are. Yeah, you've really embraced it. And I, I think... <laughs> yeah, and, and I think Farah had a tough time with it, absolutely, in the beginning. She had seen the challenges that her own brother had. But for me, I was still really hopeful. And at the time, with the limited, extremely limited knowledge that I had, I thought, well, you know, it's just something we can figure out, you know. I'm sure there are some really good therapists and, um, you know, we, we, we can we can do this. And so I was really positive at the time and I didn't really think that much. And Farah kind of immediately went into action. She organized um, occupational therapy and speech therapy and all of these things. And I was literally just bankrolling all of these things, <laughs> thinking, all right, you know, you throw enough money at it and, you know, we can solve anything. Kind of a, you, you know, know was, that, that is a good what, point because we do really feel like, you know, having the resources to do things like that will solve these. Okay, so let me take you back. So she's being... She's kind of seen this firsthand with her brother. And so she's looking at this from a very realistic perspective, knowing what she went through and her family went through growing up. Do you look back now? Cause that's, you know, that's been 14, 15. No, that's been 12 years, right? 12 years. Mm-hmm. Do you look back at, almost, yeah. yeah, he's 14. Do you look back and think, okay, I was actually very naive about what was ahead or are you appreciative that maybe you didn't know? I think I'm both. Yes, I was incredibly naive. And I was just, you know, I'm I'm not one of those half glass full kind of people. I'm actually one of those people that are grateful they have a glass. I love that. So I was just like, listen, you know, he's a happy, healthy kid. He's got some weird tics and stuff and it's all right. Um, and in fact, one of those things that people ask me is that your first born was autistic. Um, my second son, Harun, actually had some learning challenges, but he wasn't on the spectrum. Um, and yet, a couple of years later, we had two more kids. And so most parents ask me, weren't you scared that you'd have you know, more autistic kids? Because that would have been real fun. <laughs> um, you know, um, and I mean, only an autistic parent can really recognize yeah. that comment. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So you get the diagnosis. Your wife likes takes action, starts getting him into you know a bunch of therapies that he needs. And what did you start to learn about the climate for people and kids with special needs? In and you weren't in Pakistan at the time, right? No, I was. I was. We were happily living in Dubai for okay. the last uh, you know decade or so. Right. And so, what what was the climate for people with special needs in Dubai? Dubai is always a very progressive city, so Dubai did have a lot of autism awareness, but that was from the government. On a day-to-day general man perspective, we still don't have autism awareness. And that's not the fault of anybody. I think it's just uh, it's just one of those things that unless you have it or you know somebody who has it, you really don't understand. And, and autism, is, autism is, is so different from, for example, somebody who has um, Down syndrome, for example. Well, it's invisible. You know, it is invisible. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that for for me, that's been maybe harder, you know, with my son, because kids, while they are amazing and they can be taught, um, you know, inclusion at such a young age, if they don't know and don't understand, they're just like, what is this weird kid doing? You know, where they can't see what is happening. And I think that's been one of the things that's been so eye opening for me. But as you're talking about that day to day awareness you know, in my opinion, that's why it's so important for us to be doing the things that we're doing right now, like doing the podcast, talking about it, going into the schools, really bringing it to the forefront. Because, you know, if one in 50, and I know that number is not accurate, let's say one in 40 to 50 kids is diagnosed with autism in the world. And in some areas, it's higher, you know, than others. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people with autism out there. And so when you meet those families or those people who just really have no experience with it, it's they actually do have experience with it. They just don't know it because no one's been at the forefront of bringing it out. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I agree 100 percent. I mean, and, and this is funny because you are talking from an American perspective, right, where there is far more awareness, um, you know, and far more tolerance for something with special needs. Whereas I have experienced it in a country like Dubai, which is very progressive, all the way down to Malaysia for the last seven years and now in Pakistan. Um, And I think I can fairly say that um, anywhere you go across the globe, parents of autistic children are seeing exactly the same thing. There's a lack of awareness. There's a lack of services. I I had a cousin who had a special needs child and in Canada. Because they heard, oh, you know, there's better treatment there. And then they went there and realized, actually, that's not true. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so what, what, are, what is the climate in Pakistan? You know, what are you finding there? And what do you find is the need and, and you know, acceptance level there in Pakistan? It's a pretty dire situation. I mean, I don't want to sound like a negative Nelly or anything, but, I mean, what's happened is that... We came here, we arrived here about six months ago, and we've never lived in Pakistan. Um, so when we moved here, my wife Farah, she, her goal, her dream was to open up an, an academy that would train adults sort of age 10, 12 years onwards to about, you know, 20, 25, give them vocational skills to lead a more independent life. And so Farah opened this uh, academy, and we only had about five or six kids in. But that's when we started talking to parents and um, here. And so the problem was this. 
number one, there is no acceptance. So uh, it's a very patriarchal society. So uh, generally men were really, really against the idea of accepting a child that was not normal. Oh my gosh, so, so what tough. We found was, uh, absolutely. So what we found was mothers running around looking for services and trying to get their children included in schools and um, you know, trying to pay for all of these services. Oh which my gosh, we could and I bankrupt a family, right? Absolutely. Autism is incredibly expensive. And so um, they're trying to do all these things whilst at the same time battling a joint family system with brothers and sisters and in-laws and God knows how many people in the family and trying to explain to them that, you know, my child is different, but he's still my child. And we've had some really bad stories about, you know, women telling me that the father's literally sort of just, you know, sort of given up, right? So, so we get these stories all the time, and and I they they're after me to speak to their husbands and their brothers and stuff, and and talk about it, and that's also difficult because, um, you know, in a society like Pakistan, having somebody else's wife talk to a guy like me to say, can you speak to my husband? I mean, that in itself is going to put up a barrier in front of the husband saying, why am I speaking to this person? Right. So, so how, <laughs> what has the response been like from family and friends? So uh, the thing is people are desperate for um, treatment. There, there are two big challenges here. One is the fallacy that my child has to go to a mainstream school. And so there are parents bent on somehow getting therapy to get a child ready enough to be able to sit in a classroom, mm -hmm. regardless of how much value he actually gets out of it. Right. Um, homeschooling is absolutely not an option. It's, it's almost considered that if you're homeschooling that, you know, you're either a hippie or... <laughs> You can't afford school or, okay, right. you know, it's, and, and that's not just, I guess, here. I mean, even when we were in Dubai and we had decided to homeschool our kids and stuff, I mean, you know, we had really close friends who looked at us and said, these guys are going on some, you know, strange like, what, what are you guys doing? You know, right. Weirdos. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Danish, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's next for you and your family and the progress you've made and what you see as the next thing that you need to tackle in your community there. So stay with us. We'll be right back. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, thanks for being with us here for Celebrating the Spectrum. So, Danish, when you look at the progress that you've made up to this point and the challenges that are ahead for you and your family and, and the autism community in Pakistan, what do you see as the next thing that needs to be done, the next challenge for you? 
So right now, one of the things that we're trying to do is kind of raise a national dialogue about autism, which in a country like Pakistan is incredibly difficult. Not necessarily because um, people don't want to talk about autism, but if you're looking at a third world country like Pakistan where your challenges are poverty, clean drinking water, electricity, and, and things like that. Basic needs. You know, I was speaking to a brand recently, a really large brand, and, and because I'm a TV commercials director, I was uh, pitching to them an idea about working with a brand to show the potential for autistic children. And he loved the idea, and he said, oh, it's really, really nice. But he said, you know, I don't see the scale in this because you're saying one in 50 kids is on the spectrum and... And, you know, here we have people who don't have enough food and, you know, are living below the poverty line and stuff. It, it kind of seems like a rich person's problem. Oh, wow. And this is an educated person. Yeah. This, was, this oh, person's, mm -hmm. you know, studied in the U.S. And, and, and studied in London and stuff. And he's come back and he's saying this to me. What did I'm you think shocked. when he said that? I was being polite. I, I, I didn't want to set up an argument, but I did say, I said, I can see from your perspective why you might think this is the case. And, and I said that the only thing is you don't feel it's a problem unless it happens to you. So I said, I guarantee you, if you ask around in your family, you will find somebody who says, yes, my child seems to have some sort of developmental challenge or some sort of learning disability. Um, and when you find that it becomes serious is when you will say, oh, this, we need to talk about this. And the funny thing is, when the conversation ended, he told me about his own child. And he said, I've got some concerns. And I was wondering if you think that he might be on the spectrum because this is what he does. You're like, well, actually, I'd love to talk about that. And let's go ahead with this campaign. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that is crazy. And you know what? That is really an education issue. It is an awareness issue, isn't it? I mean, because we talk about awareness all the time. You know, we have Autism Awareness Month here in the States, and I actually kind of transitioned that to autism acceptance and did a program at my child's school because awareness is fantastic, but I want my son to be accepted. You know, I want him throughout his life to feel acceptance. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, that's where you guys are. I mean, we're at the stage where we just need to even explain what the word autism is and what it actually means. And, um, it's so. an interesting place to be for you, for sure. Okay. So what, and, and I want to talk, you talked about, you know, the five people to surround yourself with. And when I was listening to that, I started thinking, do I have five moms or dads in the autism community that I look up to or that, you know, I think, wow, they're doing really incredible things. And I think that's, that's a great a great perspective to have and a great way to look at it. Do you have those five in your life? Absolutely. And so the thing is, is that that is kind of a double-edged sword. Um, we grew up in Dubai. So we had a extensive network of friends and then a really small network of really close friends that we've kind of grown up with, been to school with, graduated with. You know, we had weddings around the same time and children around the same time and things like that. The problem is when you have a child with autism or any special needs, your priorities kind of shift. And even though you might be really close to this person, it's going to be difficult for them to understand the challenge. So surrounding yourself with these five people, for me, meant 
disengaging with some of my closest friends. Okay, and that is so true. Okay, can I add a little bit to that too? Sure. Is that I have felt that that's been hard for me. It, it's I've I've kind of struggled with my identity as a parent and a person because I I liked who I was before. You know, I liked that life. I liked that ignorant bliss. But I feel this like intense responsibility to be an advocate for my child. And so you kind of go this this like, have you felt that somewhat? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I mean, Farah and I, you know, joke around the fact that we would have been incredibly shallow people <laughs> had we not had Suleiman. Yeah. That, no, I can see that. You know, you didn't know you didn't you weren't uh, forced to take a look at this. And as a result, you have become molded into a different version of yourself, which is probably for a good thing, really. I, that's what I believe. I think it is a good thing. And so the, the thing about but but it's, it's difficult because, you know, you have to end up sidelining relationships that you've had over a long time, but you have to do it because they are never going to understand your perspective as much as they try to. And I know they're well-meaning and there's nothing against that. No, there's not. But in order to refresh yourself and, and stay positive, you just need to surround yourself with five moms who actually, when you say, listen, today was a rough day. And sometimes, you know, I don't think parents without neurodiverse kids, and, and I think probably specifically autism in some cases, I don't think parents who haven't experienced that actually understand how you can feel like such a bad parent at times and just feel like I don't know what I need to do for this child. And it is different. You know, it is a different level. And I know you've probably had all kinds of advice. One piece of advice I got, and you'll laugh at this too, I hope, because I was like, oh, bless your heart, is I had one of my friends say, well, have you tried essential oils on him? And I was just like, oh, my goodness, you just, <laughs> the world you live in, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so separating yourself, yeah, it is. You, you really need that community that, that understands. You know, and even parent to parent of autistic kids, so, sometimes we don't understand, understand each other's needs. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, I don't feel so guilty. I mean, I have a friend whose kid has Down syndrome. And we have this internal joke, you know, where I said that I'm actually kind of jealous of the fact that your kid has Down syndrome because your kid looks special. I go into the market and if I say, you know, Suleiman's autistic, people will say, oh, he doesn't, he looks really normal. And I'm going to go, oh, wait, hold on a second. Suleiman, could you just flap your arms for a second? Come on, buddy. Amp it up a little bit. But, and isn't um, it crazy how you have to accept as a parent that that judgment, because I know we've all been judged in public because your kid is acting out, you know, and I know that in airports is when we've really experienced it, when we've mm -hmm. noticed people like looking at us like you guys are the worst parents out there. Your kid is out of control. And really, it's just like, oh, OK, well, you have you have no clue. And I actually don't even feel a responsibility to say he's autistic anymore. You know, have you gotten to oh, that point? Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, my, my, my favorite incident was um, Suleiman being around nine or something. And, and I was at an Ikea. 
Um, and so no one likes Ikea, surprisingly. I mean, you know, with all the stuff that's going on, he likes Ikea. Maybe something about Swedish architecture, uh, I don't know. But this one time, it was just me, Suleiman, and my younger son. And Suleiman had a massive meltdown mm-hmm. in the middle of the sofa What, what did that look like? No clue. Tell me what a massive meltdown looked like. It was Suleiman shouting, screaming, crying on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I could not figure out whether it was the air conditioning or the sound. Because he, we were happy, 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 literally all the way. Oh, and then and just like something click. Thing. Something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was. Maybe he was confused or he didn't know where we were going. And, and you know, sometimes uncertainty can be a trigger. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't know what to do. So I just said, all right, I'm just going to sit on the sofa. And my son Harun sat next to me and I picked up a magazine. And Suleiman's having this thing. I said, there's nothing I can do at this point. Right. He needs to regulate himself. And so I had these parents walking by and looking around and going, whose father this you know, I, I just raised my hand if people got too too close to Suleiman. I just say, like he's mine. that's me, I'm, I'm here. Okay. But, you know, you develop a really thick skin, by the way. Yeah. A really thick skin. Yeah, and... Um... It's made me so much less judgmental as a parent. You know, I have to say I was I was judgy at times, too. <laughs> I was. I just think yeah. that until you've lived in this this world, you, you know, you do just have this this way you look at the world. And, oh, if those parents would do this, then that would, you know, solve that. And now we just know we just we have no idea what people are going through. So any final thoughts that you have? I know you just put on a seminar. Tell me about the seminar that you held what you taught, and maybe how that evolved into something you didn't really expect. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, here in Pakistan, therapy therapy is expensive everywhere. But considering the state of the economy, uh, for a lot of parents with autistic children, they, they simply could not afford therapy. And so I had completed a program called Sunrise. Um, essentially, Sunrise is a program developed by the Autism Treatment Center of America. And... The idea that they had was that there was, we were going about autism literally the completely wrong way in terms of um, using ABA therapy or traditional therapy techniques. And so I watched a few videos and I liked the philosophy that they had in terms of um, engaging with your child and sort of, in a nutshell, the idea was if you enter your child's world if you enter the bubble and you enjoy what they enjoy, so for example, if your child is stimming, you enjoy it instead of asking him to tone it down, that the child will see you as a safe space and then will want to come to your world when you say, you know, let's let's try something my way. It's mm-hmm. like how we make friends, for example, right. right? I mean, if you have joint interest, all your friends that you have, you have joint interests with them. Yes. And so that's literally their philosophy. And I did the program and I worked on that with Suleiman for the last couple of years. And for me, it worked wonders. And how did he do? Have you noticed a difference? So uh, my goal was never cure. Right. Right. I, I never came into this thing, I'll find a cure because I was, that's the other thing I kept telling people. I can't cure him because autism isn't a disease. It's a condition. Um, Which I actually so like that part is, of it. I do. Yeah. You know, so I was basically saying I would like my child to view me as a safe space. 
and come to me when there's a problem. So for me, that worked absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it was it just, just those techniques are incredible. Those guys are brilliant at what they do. And so I would tell parents, please do the course. It's online. It's only about $900 and something. And you can do it at your own pace. And then you can do these therapies with your own child at home if you can't afford therapy. The funny thing is, a lot of parents in Pakistan can't even afford that. And so what I said is, guys, uh, it might not be the most ethical thing to do, but if you've got a child with special needs and you're telling me that your husband's given up and you have no money, um, I'll kind of have to weigh the greater good. So I said, I will teach you certain principles from Sunrise that you can adopt at your own place. So we did the program. And before, when I was writing out the entire program, I realized that one of the biggest problems these parents had was their own mental health. Mm-hmm. And because I had recently completed a NLP sort of neuro-linguistic programming seminar, I noticed these signs from the way parents were talking. For example, many parents say, we know that autism is not my fault. It's not genetic. It's not necessarily coming from me. Mm -hmm. And yet when they would talk about their child, they would say these things about, oh, I don't know, you know, maybe I was anxious when he was pregnant or... Oh, so still um, that shame or, you know, that I, they did think it was their absolutely. fault. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Internally, they, that's how they talk to themselves. And so before I even started anything with the course, I put a whole chapter on love and acceptance. And the idea was not love and acceptance for your child, because that's a given. I know you love and accept him. Do you love and accept yourself? And so we did a little therapy in terms of teaching simple techniques like uh, cause and effect theories in terms of how parents should be thinking and talking to themselves. And, and that was probably the part about the program that parents loved the most. I'm sure. Oh, because, it's, you know, it's probably the they really is, needed it, didn't they? That's the thing, right? The funny thing is I would have these parents send me messages on Instagram and say, oh, well, you know, can we have a... 30-minute Zoom chat. I just need to discuss something with my child. And then we'd have the chat, and it turns out they were actually wanting to talk about their feelings. They were venting. Yeah, yeah they, need, they, need, they need... You're their safe space. You are also their safe yeah. space. Yeah, they need someone to talk to that can understand and relate. And so that's when I realized that that's what I need to do. I need to kind of um, inspire these people and say, listen, it's not... Honestly, like I know your kid has autism, my kid's got autism. It's just not that big a deal. Your child is healthy, your child is happy, um, and, and you can deal with this. So it's not life-threatening, it's not terminal. And I have to push them to try and focus on the positive. And right. one of the things that I write on my emails at the end is always, um, is something actually I read recently, uh, you know, saw recently mm -hmm. on a the TV show Ted Lasso. Okay, best show. Love that show. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things he said was every disadvantage has an advantage. Oh, that's great. And I loved it. I put it on my emails and I said, told these guys, guys, every disadvantage has an advantage. Look at yourselves. You're different parents now. You're more empathetic. Oh, we, okay, we learn um, so much as we go. And you know what? Along those lines, I talk a lot about growth all the time. Growth is never fun. When you're growing, you know, when you're working out, your your muscles are sore, it, it's hard. You come out better. 
growth emotionally is hard. You know, we come out better. Absolutely. But, you know, we hate it. It sucks. We hate it. We hate it when it's happening. It's the worst. Yeah. No. And I, I love that you were saying, you know, okay, every disadvantage has an advantage. I never want to cure my son, Asher. He is amazing. He's done so much for us. I believe the future is so bright for him. You know, it's like every parent would benefit from having an Asher in their life. You know, we just would as a community yeah. if we all if we all had kids like that. And I know that you feel that way as well. Okay, so you taught them this self-love. Yeah, I taught them how to talk to themselves and also how to talk to their spouses about it, um, which was another problem that many of these couples had. Um, yeah. Um, and that was the most popular part of the program. Okay, that was the most popular part. Everything else is good, but that was the most popular part. Okay, any yeah. final thoughts that you would like to share with us today? Anything that, you know, you just think people should know when it comes to our autistic kids? There's a couple of things. Um, one of the things that I, when you, when you said this question, I was thinking about, and I said, one of the most popular questions, almost like, you know, frequently asked questions that you get on the website is, my concern is what happens to my child when I'm no longer there. And that is a really difficult question to answer. Yeah. But I have found a way to kind of answer that question, which might almost be considered to be kind of crass. Okay. But I always tell people, if, why are you worried about what happens to your child when you die? I'm pretty certain you have bigger problems when you die. <laughs> yeah. So, and the thing is that that's that's funny, and and true because the reality is, what happens to your child tomorrow? What are you doing, you know, today that can can make that worry lessened five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now? Right. Exactly, right. So you're kind of sacrificing the present because of the anxiety that you have for the future. Right. So my thing is that I tell them, listen, if you're dead, your problems are certainly not going to be your autistic child. As much as you think they are, they're not really going to be that. If you're religious, you certainly would believe that that would be the case. If you're not religious, then you would also believe the same thing because then you're sort of vanished into the ether. For me, being religious, my uh, philosophy is this. The child came from somewhere, and whoever that person was, if you consider them God, it is God's problem when I die. It, it isn't mine. It was mine when I was alive, and I will be questioned about it um, in terms of, oh, when you were alive, what did you do? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be questioned about it when I'm dead. And so I'm just like, how do you know his life isn't going to be better Yeah, if you died? Right. Yeah. So, things, things evolve and change that way. Yeah, that's true. Okay, Danish, where can people follow you, get in touch with you? Do you let people get in touch with you or are you like, I, I maxed out as far as, you know, helping people process things? No, I'm, I'm actually, I always sort of invigorated every time I talk to another parent and make somebody feel better. So I have an Instagram account. 
that I started a couple of years called autism.dad. Okay. Um, and people can, you know, a lot of people, you know, send me a message and say, oh, can we just have a WhatsApp call or a Zoom yeah, call or right. something? And I always take the time out. Because say, you feel I'm like it's that important. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. We're, you know, the thing is, we're all just working our way through this one day at a time. And I, I'm with you. I mean, when, you know, when KSL told me I could do this podcast, I was like, wow, this is a dream because, you know, the other part of my job is covering evening news. So this is something that I can talk about that I'm super passionate about that I actually get a benefit from every single time I talk to people, which is just so cool. And it sounds like you feel that same way. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, I feel fortunate because I had certain people that were always open to talk to me and discuss things and give me advice. And it's the least I can kind of do is just, you know, give you 15, 20 minutes and just uh, give you some tips and make you feel better, if not anything else. Right, right. Oh, no, I love that. All right. So thank you so much for talking to us today. I would love to check in with you in the next few months, see how things are going for you there in Pakistan. Absolutely. That would be a pleasure. Okay. Danish Mumtaz, thank you so much for joining us today. And Celebrating the Spectrum is a KSL podcast. 